1950, over half of American adults attended church every Sunday. Today, in the year of our Lord, 2024, that number has dropped almost 25%. 74 years ago, the culture, practices, and traditions of America pointed to the fact that we were indeed once a Christian nation. So the question then is how? How did we go from Christian nation to clown world in just 74 short years? Now, while there are indeed many factors to consider as we try and diagnose our cultural sickness, there is perhaps one reason that stands above the rest. For the last 74 years, American Christians have been failing in spectacular fashion to bring their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Young people have been graduating from high school and then tragically walking away from the faith of their parents in droves for half a century now. And why have they been walking away from the faith? Because they were not given a Christian education. In fact, as you will discover over the next several episodes of the podcast, if you were educated in a government school, you were not only not given a Christian education, you were actually given an anti-Christian progressive education. For the last century, we have been shipping our children off to increasingly anti-Christian indoctrination camps, also known as public schools, for 16,000 hours of their childhood. And then we scratch our heads wondering why on earth our kids are walking away from the faith. As Bodhi Bauckham has famously put it, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans and not Christians. If we want to see our nation discipled and taught obedience, if we want to be salt and light as Christ commanded, we as God's people must reform all of life to the Word of God. Now, I believe that we can rebuild a Christian culture that rattles the gates of hell. But in order to do this, there are three key battlefields that we must win. Three areas of reformation that are essential to rebuilding a Christian culture. We must reform the church to the Word of God, we must reform the family to the Word of God, and we must reform the education of our children to the Word of God. And so, today on the Reformation Red Pill Podcast, we will begin episode one of a four-part series on the topic of educational reformation. Now, before we jump into this next episode, there is a key word and big idea that I want you to listen out for and truly internalize as you listen for the next few episodes of the podcast. I am here referring to the concept of Paideia. And so, without further ado, let's jump on into this week's episode of the Reformation Red Pill Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Reformation Red Pill Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Hames, and I am joined in the studio with... Pete Hexa. Pete Hexa. Good to see you. How are yeah, you? Yeah, good, good to have you in here, man. I, I want you... A lot of people are going to recognize you. A lot of people won't. So I want you to go ahead and give a little bio. Who, who is Pete Hexa? Well, first and foremost, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ Come on. and uh, saved by grace and and just grateful to God uh, to be a, in a small corner of his kingdom, especially yeah. here in Tennessee yeah. with you and so many others. Uh, my wife, Jenny, and I have, uh, we have a blended family of seven kids, all mm. very young. Mm. Uh, and so our mission increasingly day by day is the generational impact we can have for them. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to talk about this book and my life over the last uh, four or five years has been a reformation red pill. Mm. Uh, I mean, in ve- not, 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 not to the theological depth that yours has, but sort of a, a life realization of what are we doing here yeah. and what more could we be doing? Um, born and raised in Minnesota, grew up in Baptist church. My parents are wonderful Christians. Um, but I, as I've said before, I would say that I had a, um, 
a, a secular core, but a Christian veneer. Uh-huh. And so as a result, careened around for many years, was in the military, um, deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan, ran some veterans organizations, uh, and then ended up doing commentary on cable television, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox. And then eventually Fox News kind of latched on and I became the, the host of Fox and Friends Weekend. Nice. Uh, when Tucker Carlson was the host of that in that spot before me, and then he took the primetime show, and then I became the conservative guy yep. on the weekend show. And that was right after Trump's election in 2016. And I've been there uh, ever since. So we're, we, Fox and Friends Weekend is on from 6 to 10 a.m. <laughs> Eastern time on Saturday and Sunday, live from New York City. So unfortunately, these days I have to commute back to New York every weekend to do it. Um, but we're, we're grateful to be here and um, thankful for all that you do Man. in this effort. That's so awesome. I actually met Pete at, I think we actually met at a Bible study, not the Bible study, the book study yeah. at our Pastor Brooks's house. And uh, it's been really awesome getting to know you over the last uh, last several months. I It's funny because I didn't I didn't know who you were because I, I don't watch cable. I don't have cable. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, are, a lot of people don't these days. Yeah, but, uh, but my dad, did know who you were. <laughs> and I, he was, and him and especially my little brother, they came to visit Starstruck. Just, <laughs> Starstruck. it's funny because, and uh, I like that you, you, when we went out to lunch, you described kind of that sweet spot of kind of being known in the public eye of not hugely famous where you're hated by everyone, but known enough to where everyone who knows you loves you. Yes. That's awesome. It is. That's a sweet it's a pretty spot. good sweet spot. Yeah. Like a lot of people your age, parents really like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's they right. don't watch. But if you don't, I mean, guys like Tucker or Hannity, um, you know, or Kaylee McEnany when she was the press secretary, hmm. sort of passed that cultural Rubicon where the, the chattering class knows who they are. And so they're commenting and coming at them. They, yeah. Whereas yeah. right now, uh, yeah, our show's popular. It's the highest rated weekend show on cable news. Like it's a great show, but it still hasn't jumped. The, so if you're, if you watch us, you love us. Yeah, that's and right. And if you're, 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 and otherwise you're just, who is that? They, I, I re- vaguely, vaguely recognize there that There was guy. that one day somebody came up to me on the street and said, oh man, I can't stand you. I was like, <laughs> oh, no. Yes, yeah. somebody out yeah, there. So, right. uh, it is a blessing. Fox has been an amazing blessing uh, to me and my family. And they, they give us a platform to, to, uh, and, and thankfully through Fox and Fox Nation, talk about things that no one else is talking about. Mm. I mean, Fox News is, it is a corporate news, you know, right of center television news outlet. And it's wonderful. Fox Nation lets me go even deeper on subjects like faith and education. I'm grateful for it. That's, I, uh, I think there's a lot in my generation who are kind of just skeptical in general of any institution like new media, even Fox, that kind of thing. And so whenever I was like, oh, it's a Fox News host, I was kind of like, okay, all right. And then I started seeing some of your content and then I read your book and I was like, this dude is like probably the most Christian guy over there. He's, well, I don't know the most, but I'm saying like you are unabashedly Christian. Yeah, unashamedly. I was I wasn't expecting that, but I'd see it even even on your cable news segment, like everything. You're you're a Christian all the way through. We try to emphasize it all the way through on the show. Um, our show is not just faith friendly, but like Christian forward. On this is what we yeah. believe. Yeah, this is what our nation was founded on. Mm. Uh, we're not perfect. I'm only saved, uh, you know, by by grace and and uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and. So are all of you. Like, yeah. we're in the same boat. I'm yeah. no better than you. Yeah. I need this as much as you do. Mm. I end our show every Sunday by saying, go to church. Come on. 
Uh, that's the last thing. And then you uh, rush home. Even to when I'm not there, <laughs> yeah. um, one of my hosts will say it for me. Yeah. Because yeah. it's become a thing. Yeah. And you know why I started doing it? Because I wasn't going to church and I wanted to tell myself to go to church. Man. And it was, and then we would, and we would go and we would go and we would go and it became just increasingly a part of my life. So it's not admonishing anybody mm-hmm. else to do something because you're no good. It's like, no, 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 we all need it. Yeah. Every Sunday, we have a reckoning uh, with our Lord uh, as, a, as a part of how we start our week. So yeah, I, I, and I'm grateful. To f- I mean, a lot of media outlets wouldn't allow that, mm-hmm. right? To be open about your Christian faith. Sure. And I'm not the only host. There are other hosts at Fox that are very open about it too. But uh, it's, it's a huge part. I mean, there's still a massive part of our country that feels the same way. Absolutely. It's, what you're, it's the people you're talking to as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and, and so if, I'm, if God's going to give me this platform, I want to use it for him and his kingdom as much as man. I love that. That gets me excited, man. I mean, and that even that maps onto why we started the forge, right? Mm -hmm. So the big picture, the reason we started the forge, the forge press, which is, uh, that's this podcast, the reformation red pill podcast is brought to you by the forge. If you didn't know that. Um, and so we, we we're trying to, uh, conquer the digital landscape, as it were. Uh, The idea is to bring Reformation resources to everybody. But we started this because we believe that, well, our last episode that we just released was on post-millennialism, which basically means uh, our position is that Christ's kingdom is expanding and will continue to expand. And Christendom 2.0 is inevitable. I'm not sure where you're at with that. That's where we are. Um, I'm learning it along with you, to be yeah, honest with you. Yeah, yeah. So this is very exciting because I was raised kind of with the view that it's all going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> yeah, it's like Christ returns and he'll rescue like those last few survivors out of Vietnam, got out of the helicopter. That's how it's going to be with, you yep, know, yep. Uh, with God's people when Jesus returns. Um, but now with this new view that um, actually Christ wins and his church, the gates of hell really don't prevail against God's church. Gates are defensive. That means God's people are on the offensive, that we're actively expanding and growing his kingdom. With that view, then it became, okay, so then why are we losing so badly right now? Like, why is it, if you look around, why does it look so bleak? And really, it only looks bleak. I say it only looks bleak. It looks bleak primarily in the West. China is have like, believers are, the the church is growing exponentially. South Korea went from like, 0% 0% Christian to like 90% Christian over the course of a hundred years. Meanwhile, we've been slowly decaying. Now what's that about? So that's, that's uh, and that's why we started the forge was because we believe that cultural reformation and the great commission to make disciples of all nations is inevitable. And so we needed to figure out what the problem was. I think the problem is Matthew 13, Matthew 5, 13. This has became kind of the, uh, Oh, I would say this was one of the, like the the primary verses that fueled us. Uh, Matthew five thirteen says that you, as in Jesus is speaking to uh, his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So salt is meant to season, make things tasty, but it's also a preservative to mm-hmm. prevent decay. And I think I was tempted to before, along with many others, and you can jump in on any of this, but I was, many are tempted to look at the cultural decay in our country right now and say, it's the radical left. They're making, it's their fault that this is all happening. And to an extent, yeah, like that's the where a lot of the madness is, but why? 
Well, it's because the salt has not been preserving the meat. Mm-hmm. Our culture has been decaying because God's people have lost their salt. We became embarrassed of the word of God. We started preaching s- soft sermons, you know, and avoiding the hard truths. Um, and uh, We've yeah. tried to look like the world or oh, imitate yeah. the world. And I, I have a lot of admiration for my home church where I grew up. And I, I love, I know the pastor, uh, known him for years, but it was a seeker sensitive church. Whose, whose entire goal was to look relevant, yep. to sort of coax you in and say, well, we're not really those Bible people or those Christian people. Yeah, we're one of the good ones. We're one of the good ones and we're like you and you can yeah. drink coffee and it's a rock band <laughs> yeah. and everything's fine. And, and, there, and there's, there, there's utility to that in the salvation sense. I, I still acknowledge that. But if you're looking at kingdom expansion and culture, mm-hmm. there's almost no invest, investment no. in that. And, that's, and, and so you slide backwards. Well, that's the thing. Whenever you are repackaging, you're... What I call it is is being a culture. The, the church over the last hundred years, specifically over the last fifty or sixty years, with the seeker sensitive movement, became what I call a cultural leech. To say we're going to take what the culture's doing, and we're going to leech onto that and do a crappier Christian version of it, <laughs> you know. And and then, but but people, but we can attract people by doing what they do. But the, the problem is, whatever you attract people with is what you're going to have to keep them with, yeah. right? And so we be, we're mimicking the world instead of creating culture instead of creating what well, they are creating a culture it's just kind of a, a shallow one mm-hmm. um, but instead of creating a culture that is rooted and grounded in the word of god we rooted it in expediency how, or uh kind of ends justify the means kind of thing right if we can get a few people in the door it's all worth it the problem is is that you lose your salt whenever you do that mm-hmm. whenever you compromise on the truth of god's word and building a culture out of god's word you're you You've now won people with carnal means, with the things of the world. And now what have you even won them to? Yeah. What have you even won them to? And so anyway, all that to say, getting back to this passage, oftentimes it seems that we look at the meat, the culture that's rotting. It does no good to see rotten meat and for the salt to blame the meat for rotting. The salt has lost its taste and it becomes good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so my hope and prayer with The Forge and with this podcast and all the content that we create is to help the church regain her salt, to reform to the word of God in all things. Now, with that, this brings us to the subject of our discussion today. I believe that if there is hope, and I believe there 100% is hope for our country, um, and if there's hope for the church to uh, reform. Well, let's, if we want to see cultural reformation, we need reformation in three areas, and that is reformation in the church, reformation in the family, and reformation in education. If Christians, and when I say reformation, what I mean is applying the Word of God to to those aspects of life completely. Saying we're going to base our understanding of the family and of what the church is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to operate and function. Um, and how we educate our children. We're going to base all of that. We're going to reform it to the word of God. So throughout the podcast, we're going to be talking through those things. Most of my uh, focus so far has been on the church, Mm -hmm. theology, um, our ministry philosophy, that kind of thing. But today I want to put special attention on what you, what seems to be the beginning of your Reformation Red Pill journey, which was education. So the, the Reformation of education to the word of God. And so, uh, yeah, with that, for all you uh, watchers and viewers and uh, fans of the show out there, we're going to invite you to, if you like this podcast, give it a like, give it a sub, give it a share, and comment. Please comment. And if you really like what you're seeing, 
go support us on Patreon. All right. We, if you want more content like this, vote with your dollars. So that's my plug. Now let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. First question for you, Pete, you've kind of described a, a, a little bit, but what was your Reformation Red Pill journey like? Your journey into Reformed theology, you're currently worshiping with me at a CREC mm -hmm. church. What was that story? Well, it's, it started in many ways with this book, Battle yeah. for the American Mind. Um, and I do want to start our conversation uh, where we started the book which is at the, basically saying, and one sentence in, if anything, we cannot think of two people less worthy to write this book. That's good. Uh, I co-authored with David, Good, David Goodwin. Mm. Uh, he is the president of the Association of Classical Christian Schools, uh, which is in, sort of in the, uh, as you have concentric circles of, of uh, the CREC movement, is a part of that. Yeah, Classical yeah. Christian education is a part of it. Uh, and, and so this entire work is a product of a, of a providential partnership between the two of us. So I want to give full credit, I mean, full glory to God, but full credit to David in this partnership because it doesn't happen without him. And, and we did it with humility and a full reckoning of our fallen human nature. Uh, but man, did, did, if I had known what I was signing up for when yeah. I, when I cracked open the can of, 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 of the reality of our education system and how, uh, deeply it would impact my life and change my life, mm. I, I wouldn't have believed it. You know, I'd always been passionate about education. And, and, and here's why. As, as, as a more civic, politically-minded person, mm. I felt like, okay, so the left does equality of outcome. Yeah. Right? They're equity, equity. people. That's right. their deal. Yeah. So if we believe in equality of opportunity, we're equality people. Mm. And you can't change where people were born or their social economic status of their parents or their natural gifts or abilities that God gave them. Those are the things that they, but you can change what kind of education they get. Mm. And as a result, that's a leveler in society. So if I'm a conservative who believes in equal opportunity, I should believe in education as the gateway to the American dream, as mm. the gateway to opportunity, the up and out, right. if that's what I believe. So I've always kind of had this instinct toward education, but I, but I was born and raised in the yellow school bus crowd. I yeah. mean, public education was the default. Right. My parents had it. My grandparents had it. I did. I had public education and I felt like for sure my kids would. If it was good enough for me, it's good enough for them. Uh, and then I, I, so I sort of knew a little bit about classical Christian education. Long, fast forward into this. Um, I was introduced at a Fox and Friends diner to a, a lovely couple who had a couple kids in uniforms. And they said, you need to learn more about classical Christian because I think it comports with what you're. And, yeah. and again, I, I was familiar with it, but I wasn't yet an evangelist. And so I jumped on the phone with David Goodwin uh, and I was rereading that. And, and the, this, this, from there, I'm asking questions. He's providing answers. He's got, you know, half written manuscripts. I'm looking at them. I've got ideas over here. How can we merge our works? And pretty soon we're doing a film together on Fox Nation called The Miseducation of America. Yeah. Where he's kind of the Sherpa through that. Uh, and then this book came out of it too. It's like, well, we need to do a book on top of this also. Yeah. And as I reread this for our podcast, kind of looking over it, I, I was struck, and I told my wife this too, by how much of the sort of CREC reformed view is included in the book in ways that I was, you know, as David and I were writing, inclined to support, right? Yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, David, that's great. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't fully understand. Mm. There's a, I mean, I, I hate to admit, like, you don't understand everything you wrote in the book, and, and, and I, I do in a sense, but no, and there's deeper theological threads in this as I reread it yeah. about what education should do in a kingdom context yeah. that I didn't really get before. 
That's and, and so, so the, funny. So I'm being red pilled even to this moment yeah. on this book because every every because um, I would write sections and Dave would write sections. I'd read his and he'd read mine. And every time I read one of his. I, I, t- I would turn to my wife and I'd be like, babe, how do we not know this? <laughs> how do people not know this? Yeah. This is unbelievable. Yeah. This changes everything. Mm. I, I, I didn't know this. My kids don't know this. And if they don't know this, we're losing, we're going to lose everything. Mm. Uh, and, and it's kind of had the reverse engineering effect for me. Cause you mentioned the three strands of the cord, mm. family, church, education, mm-hmm. which and is so, funny. That's how you introduced yourself. You said, first of all, God, and then you said my family, and then you talked about the church, and now we're talking about education. Like that, that's like ingrained into your own identity. Well, how it's you even becoming yourself. more and more and more yeah. and more ingrained. You asked me to introduce myself five years ago, and it would have been I'm a Fox News host, and this is who. Yeah, it you know took you I mean? a while to get there. This absolutely. Time. Yeah. Uh, it, it well, no, I mean it's just it's it's who it's how I it's how I want to be seen. It's how I want my kids to yeah, see me. It's what absolutely. I really truly value more and more each mm. and every day. But. This, the education portal has reverse engineered in my life yeah. than a focus on the church and a focus on the family mm. in a way that I was probably far more complacent than I should have been. Mm. Uh, and so, it, and that's one of the, I think the wonderful things about classical Christian education, which is the subject of, of the book effectively, is that it has a generational reverse engineering effect mm-hmm. where as your kids are exposed to this truth, beauty, wisdom, and, and goodness, you're exposed mm. to things you never knew you didn't have. Mm-hmm. And then the re-education uh, backwards happens, but the hope is that it reverberates through generations. So it, it the whole writing process was a red pill. Then it, I mean, we moved to Tennessee to move to a classical Christian school because of this book. Mm. Because when I started writing, writing it, we didn't have all our kids in that form of education. And I, I looked around, I said, Babe, we, uh, what are we doing here? The clock's ticking. <laughs> yeah. And so I said to David, I said, where are the great schools in these following states? And uh, we landed on one in middle Tennessee and we moved to it. Wow. And then as we say too, you know, we moved to a school. We thought we were moving to a school, but we moved to a church and a community and a whole view of the world uh-huh. that has changed the way we think too. That's, I love hearing that. It's so funny to hear you say it too, because my, I was struck as I was reading because when we first talked, you know, you you told me you're kind of new to this world and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then I'm reading your book and I'm like, it does not sound like he's new to this world. It's funny. Like those ideas were already in you, you and David. Absolutely. Right? But yeah, that's yeah. a David thing. That's a yeah. God thing, but it's a David thing. Yeah, yeah. And so as he was doing it, I was, yeah, it's true. I'd read it and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Not quite how I would have said it, but I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it, so and now I'm kind of learning why I like that. Right. As I listen to your podcast or sit in the pews yeah, yeah. or see my stuff come home from my kids, I'm learning too. That's so great. That's awesome, man. Okay, so uh, if you can't tell already, uh, the subject of our time, we're going to do a kind of a mini series. We'll do a few episodes covering the contents of this book. So this book for me, I recommended it on Twitter several times as one of my top reads for 2023 because it's so timely and important. Um, and as you just mentioned, it's on the topic of education in general, but specifically classical Christian education as the solution to the problems we're about to outline in this episode. Um, and so I guess what, before we get into it, what was, when were you first exposed? Was it through David Goodwin that you were exposed to classical Christian education? No, there, there was, there were members of our church years ago who started a classical Christian school mm. Uh, and as I mentioned, we have a blended family, so I have some kids that were in that school, so I'm familiar okay. with it. Yeah. Um, but it, 
it was sort of, I, I, don't, I, I don't mean to, I don't want to be disparaging at all, but it was a sort of a, a lighter form, if you will. Yeah, sure. And, and when you get into the class, really the ACCS, the more sort of, um, not hardcore, but more, um, hardcore almost works. Yeah, it almost works. <laughs> yes. I mean, sort of, the, we're going yeah. to, we're going to, we're going to pursue every single aspect of what classical Christian education could look like. Yeah. Um, that was the, that was the realization. So it really was through talking to David and then realizing, but, but it was also watching our culture too. So it was two things at one time. It was gravitating toward the good and then watching the negative and realizing there's no redeeming yeah. that public education side because of mm. what we've seen. Okay. And that brings us to the contents of the book. And so the contents of the book are going to serve as kind of an outline for this podcast. There's a lot of people who unfortunately won't read a book today, but they'll listen to a podcast. I understand. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 if you want, you can download the audio book and I read it to you in soothing tones. I, I've been listening to your voice for <laughs> hours on end for the last little, for the That's last scary, scary. <laughs> Oh, but uh, yeah, so we're going to we're going to let this book serve as the outline. And so the basic outline of the book is um, outlining the problem in stark terms, the depth of the problem with our public education, with education in general, with the topic of educating our children. So the problem, the depth of the problem, and then on to the history of the problem, which I really enjoyed that section. Yeah, um, that I was just collecting data there. Um, now that was a really important section. So, uh, so we've got the, the depth of the problem, the history of the problem. And then as you put in the book, a solution as big as the problem. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I was reading the other, I had, uh, in, in my reformation red pill journey, in my journey into reform theology, I discovered classical Christian education. I read several books on the topic, um, from, uh, Dorothy Sayers yep. to uh, Doug Wilson and yep. others like that. And, all incredibly informative and helpful, but the way that you specifically, the way you frame this, I think in the battle language, like using it, using that battle illustration helped solidify the uh, urgency, I think of, of, of we need to be acting now and mm -hmm. we need to take actual practical steps. A lot of these other books, they're really helpful and they gave me the, they really inspired me. I, I was already bought in on the classical Christian education model, but I think I was radicalized by your book. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. 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 I say like, okay, yeah. How do this war is happening? We need to get on board and we need to, you know, join the fight. Cause so many Christians, they don't even know there's a war for education happening. That was the goal. Yeah. Um, and the first step to recovery in any situation is understanding the depth of your problem. Exactly. And so we, we tried to start the book by hitting the reader over the head with the depth of the progressive takeover. Cause you're right in the book we later get to, well, it's not just what the left has done to the schools. It's what Christians and conservatives have allowed to be done to the, it's the responsibilities we've abdicated. Absolutely. And so we get into that part of the book, yeah. but you sort of start with, and the first chapter is the COVID 16, 19 moment, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, more or less around the same time you had, this China virus come in, shut everybody down, send kids into their homes yeah. where the laptops are open mm. and the parents are suddenly looking over the shoulder and they're seeing, wait, 1619 project, what's that? Yeah. And wait, a new founding date for the country? Mm. And why are your gender pronouns on the screen? What's a gender pronoun? Yeah. All of these things that parents, that the 
powers that be inside public education had intentionally hidden from parents right. that parents were now exposed to mm. and and jumped up and down at school board meetings and said, this, this is not the education I thought my kids were getting. This yep. is indoctrination. Ironically, we started the book before COVID. Yeah. So a- as we were writing it, it was writing itself. Unfolding in real time. Unfolding in real time yeah. as, as the sort of protest movement of parents. And we eventually addressed that idea that protesting at school board meetings is great but it's utterly insufficient. I think like, you used the illustration of Nerf guns. Yes. It's yeah. like, so it's like, you know, protesting good on you. Yeah. it's like charging a fortified machine gun nest with Nerf guns. Yeah. Yeah. We salute your courage, yeah. but you're all going to die. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> okay? right. That's right. So good luck going yeah, up yeah. against, and we'll get into that in the commanding heights yeah, yeah. and all the ways in which they control. And so that was a, one of the silver linings of COVID was the exposure of parents to the depth of the problem. Mm. We get into later how, how we've been a part of the problem, but the left is in, and we walk through this in hyperspeed in, in, in the indoctrination phase, because this is not just an accidental product of the sixties. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll get into the history too. This is an intentional crafting. Uh, and in that first paragraph, I think we smack people over the head with, this is not the real battlefield isn't colleges. It's kindergarten. Oh, that, I have that in the out. That is that was huge. That was a huge moment for me of realizing that. All right, so we are going to jump into the meat and potatoes of this book. And but before we do, I want to communicate to you guys what the hope and prayer for these three episodes, these mini episodes that we're doing. My hope and prayer for you is that you guys will come to understand that our government school system has been one of Satan's greatest tools for excising Christianity from our country. And we get into that in the book. Um, number two, that you will understand that it is your duty as a parent, and I, this is this is gonna this is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt for some people. It is your duty as a parent to give your child a Christian education, and if, and as Doug Wilson puts it in uh, in his book, the case for classical Christian education, I think is what it's called. Um, to fail to do so is tantamount to sinful neglect. Now I realize that that's super intense. I realize that that's incendiary even because so many people. I can't imagine what sacrifices it's going to take to give my, and I'm not saying to put them in a classical Christian school. Maybe you don't have the budget for that if it's homeschool or whatever, but we have got to pull the plug on this beast of public education. It's a, it's a behemoth that needs to die. I remember I, I even saw a, uh, uh, I saw a video, I think it was Steve Jobs from the eighties that was talking about how our public education system is completely broken. Someone who's not a Christian <laughs> at all back in the eighties was like, no, this is bad. Like this is broken bad. Well, and Steve jobs isn't even talking about the indoctrination. No, portion. he's no. just talking about excellence. He's just talking about excellence. Like Johnny can't read. Johnny can't write. Johnny can't do math. Yeah. Yeah. Is what Steve Jobs is saying. And this book doesn't even really touch on that. Yeah. Of, co- of course, that's a big aspect of it too. But everything you said is right. I mean, our government schools um, have been the default setting of a lot of God fearing, wonderful patriots in this country. Yes. Who just kind of thought, pay my property taxes. I, I know the principal. I know some teachers there. They're Christians. Yeah, they can't talk about it in the classroom, but they do the best they can. Yeah. And we'll deprogram them when they come home. And, you know, our friends are all there. And what about sports? Everybody's got a reason. I had a lot of those same reasons. And so we tr- we tried to be careful in the book not to, in- we're not impugning you as yeah. a reader. Yeah. You know, we know you're trying to do the best by your kids. You probably didn't know this either. That's the thing. I didn't know this either until I got with David and we did the research and we did the work. And then we realized, 
oh my goodness, not only is God gone, but he was kicked out intentionally by people who believed that was the pathway to controlling future citizens. That's that's huge. And whenever I say that, it, that to not give your child a classical or, or a, a Christian education is tantamount to sin, there are sins of omission and there are sins of commission. You may not have known how bad the problem was. Many people have no idea, like you're saying, how captured our and how captured our government indoctrination camps, as you call yeah. them, our government schools are, and how intentionally they are trying to lead our kids away from Christ and have been so successful at it incredibly successful. You may, you, a lot of people had a suspicion. They, yeah, there's some problems, but like you said, we can do the counter, uh, mm -hmm. we can counter programming, counter programming yeah. when they get home. Um, but the reality is you can't any kid. I, I believe this, any kid that makes it out of the government school system and with their faith intact, that is a miracle and a grace of God. It is the grace of God and it happens. Thank God. But why would we put them through that? We we've, my, my hope here is to expose you to the arguments and the truth <laughs> and the history and all of that so that you will, I believe, no longer sin of omission and ignorance sending our kids off to be indoctrinated, but rather we have got to take, we've got to take radical steps. It's, it's the time is now to take radical steps. And if that, for some people that means moving, for some people that means taking a new job, it meant moving for you. you Absolutely. Know? That's how we end the book about a radical reorientation of your life around uh, the education of your kids. Now, first and foremost, your family, we say it time and time again, family and church first and foremost. Yeah. So there's three, but this book's about the education piece of it. Radically reorienting your life around the education of your kids. Yeah. Maybe that's sacrificing job opportunities, geographic locations, yep. vacations, that's right. cars, things. And, and again, not everybody can afford uh, tuition, even though classical Christians a lot, it's not like these elite schools that are mm. charging you 50, 60. That's not what they do. Um, but they got to keep the doors open. But they got to keep the doors open yeah. or you can homeschool. Yeah. And yeah. there's wonderful classical Christian options inside oh, yeah, homeschool absolutely. that people exercise. And, and they're big yeah. and co-ops yeah. and families you can work with and you can still play sports at other schools if you're homeschooling. Like there's a lot more out there than people think. Yes. And so we're, yes, classical Christian is the approach, but uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Absolutely. And uh, so basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to radicalize you. <laughs> like I was radicalized. We're on track. Th this is what I've been convicted of. We're on track right now to leave our grandchildren a far worse country than we were given. That's, that's, that's where we're on track towards right now. But by the grace of God, that can change. That can change. But in order to do that, first we need to understand, like we outlined, the depth of the problem, get a grasp on the history of the problem, and then... As Pete puts it in the book, we need a solution as big as We'll the get problem. to the solutions. We're going to depress you first. Yeah, so. let's get real depressed yeah. and sad for a little <laughs> while. And then with that, we've been touching on it. You've mentioned it already. The first section of the book is called the 16,000-hour war. Um, break that down for me. What is the 16,000-hour war? It was the working title of the book to begin with. Okay. Uh, it was the 16,000-hour war. Um which ultimately 16,000 hours is roughly the amount of time your child will spend in school between kindergarten and 12th grade. Uh, and we focused so much of our intellectual attention for a long time as Christians or conservatives on higher ed, mm. on colleges and universities. Yeah. And the reality is the war uh, for the souls, affections, uh, and minds of our kids is that 16,000 hours mm. where most of who they are is molded. And yeah. we'll get into phrases like paideia later on, yeah, yeah. but that's 
who they are and what they love and, and what they admire is shaped in those years. Mm. That's the war we need to be fighting, not hoping we produce survivors, to your point, out of public schools who yeah. barely survive it yeah. out. Yeah. And then they go to universities, which are even worse indoctrination camps right. and hope they survive. Yeah, it's not, not only that, but we've already lost the university war. Yes. It, it's done. They used to have to be in hiding to put their, you know, the Marxist teachers used to like, Oh yeah, we're going to get another conservative that Absolutely. I can kind of undo, but now it's the absolute reverse. They come out, you know, so th what I, what I'm saying is they've, they're not in hiding in, in the higher education anymore. Okay. But they're still have to hide in the, in the K through 12. They're coming out because they're getting emboldened. Yep. But the war is still, it's still a hill we can fight and win. That's the idea. That's the story of COVID. Frankly, that's the story of the post-Trump era. A yeah. lot of the far left through their hate, you know, whether call it Trump derangement syndrome or call it what you want, not mm. even to get political, just the reality of when they saw someone actually fighting back, they came out of the tall grass and sort of exposed themselves for who they are. Yeah, so what we're Marxists. Yeah. Yeah, so what we're critical theorists. Right. Yeah, so what we're socialists. We are, and that's the future of America. So that's starting to make its way out. You know, yeah. public government schools with pride flags and trans flags and BLM flags. Like, yeah, that's social justice is what we do. Man. So they're starting to come out more and more, which is part of the COVID-16, 19 moment where parents said, whoa, I thought you were teaching math. Yeah, yeah. And you're not. And you're teaching little Johnny how to be little Jenny. And little Jenny came home and won't tell me that she's Jenny because it's kept secret at the school. Yeah. And we do these segments on a regular basis on Fox and Friends right. of parents who are suing school districts because- I mean, that was Glenn Youngkin. That's how he won. Yes, they yeah. socially transitioned their child without telling the parents. <sighs> it, it is, And when you look into, we do this on Fox Nation too, when you look into the perverted history of sex ed too, the book touches on it a little bit, but I mean, it was- created by perverts who perverts. wanted to absolutely normalize perversion. And they've, they've done that in a very They're working on pedophilia. Way. It's coming. And they're, they're absolutely working on pedophilia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this, the book tries to kind of hit you where you are, where we're at in this cultural moment and, and, and say, this is how deep we are before we tell you how we got that deep. Yeah, exactly. It's that, it's, uh, it's that is a captivating title, the 16,000 hour war. Cause it puts it front and center in front of these people, in front of Christians to see, okay, they have your child for 16,000 hours. Do you think you're going to counter-program them exactly. an hour at dinner time? And why do you want to? Yeah. My co-host on Fox and Friends said, you know, why do I want to spend my free time at night with my kids trying to undo oh. or protesting at school boards to try to undo this thing that I pay I'm for? I'm sending, yeah, yes. I pay for that. What? Yeah. I send my yeah. precious child to somebody else for eight hours a day yeah. and they're teaching them things I don't believe in? I'm sure you've heard uh, Vody Bauckham's quote, uh, we, we send our children off to Caesar for eight hours a day. And then we're shocked to find that they come home as Romans and not yes, Christians. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't yeah. even, I, if that's not in here, it should have been, <laughs> but, the, and, and by the way, I don't know if it's in this chapter and some of the chapters blur over in my mind, but um, the progressives and the leftists knew this. They wrote openly about what chance This is one quote. I don't know. Again, I don't know if it's this chapter, but what chance do the theists have mm. with their one hour on Sunday and one hour on Wednesday night, against our 40 hours of secular instruction. Man. They knew it. Yeah. And they went for it. And they've, and that's not, that's something that they wrote. This is, that's, they're saying that out loud. Openly. Yeah. Like, openly on the New Republic. Okay, yeah. let's publish this and send it to people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I love that, uh, oh, even, even on the topic of 
I read that little quote for, about higher education. So just to, I think you did that to frame just how bad the problem is. You you included that quote from that woman. I can't remember her name in here, but the North Korean defector. Oh yeah, yeah. Who said uh, um, that it's like American education system is as bleak as North Korea, or worse, or worse, or worse because of because it's not just to your point. It's no longer just the professors or the administrators. In fact, in many cases, the administrators are the most sane aspects of college campuses. Mm. It is the students who have come in even more radicalized. So they're, they're super confident and, 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 and radicalized in their political views, yet they know the least about history or human nature ever because they haven't been trained on Western civilization or biblical thought or human nature. None mm. of that is there, mm. but they've been told exactly what to think on a sliding scale of virtue signaling and social justice. And so the you can imagine the enforcement code yeah. that happens on universities for a Christian or conservative who wants to think otherwise it's as bad as it's not. It's not a you know jackboot thug coming in and beating you. For, it's your peers shaming you into silence and mm. saying you can't think that way. Man, okay. So you start this book off with a bang, and in the first two paragraphs, you hooked me in with this phrase, with this quote here. What if I told? Basically, it seemed like I'll get to the quote in a second. It felt like you were Morpheus holding out the blue pill and the red pill and saying, "What if I told you everything you knew about?" education was a lot. <laughs> you know, you said uh, uh, the bell, the class periods, the subjects, educational philosophy, even the pledge of allegiance, you know, all of that were products of, now get, this is, you need to understand this. All of these aspects of public schools were product of progressive education from the beginning. Like that was, that blew my mind, you know? So everything you think of when you think of the basics and the ingredients of how you were educated in a public school, me in the nineties. Yeah. The defaults from the class periods to the bell, to the pledge, to the prom, to all of it, all inventions of the progressives started 100 years ago at certain aspects in certain ways from the, the types of courses you take and how they're taught. Mm. Um, I always do this with audience when I speak. I, I say, okay, who here took social studies? Mm. Everyone in the audience raises their hands. I took social studies or who took political science? Everybody raises their hand. Those are invented by the progressives. Those are invented subjects. <laughs> Of the last 60 years, mm. because they decided to take, to turn human nature, theology, philosophy, politics into a science that could be manipulated and studied down into a perfected state mm. like utopians believe they could. Right. Because they've erased God and the understanding of our fallen nature. Right. That's never how we educated kids in the past. So that was the intent at the mm. beginning is to be like, everything you thought you knew is wrong, which is why this whole book is basically an archaeological uh, ex excavation. Yeah. We're trying, you're trying to dig up. I mean, Dorothy Sayers' book, I think, is The Lost Tools of Learning. Right. It's They really were lost, but they were not just lost. They were intentionally buried. Buried. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And replaced in uh, K, basically our K through 12 schools that were publicly mandated to go to uh, became exposed. They, our kids became guinea pigs for whatever new progressive utopian uh, educational philosophy they could come up with. And so they experiment on our kids. Um, and like you said, the real battle, it, we've lost it in higher education, which is just as a side note, which is really sad. It's really sad. You and know? we need to recapture that ground too. That's not what this book is about. Exactly. But, but like reforming the Ivy League is not going to happen. Yeah. Like these are lost institutions. We need to start our own. You gotta, you've, we've got to start our I wonder, this is what I wonder though, is if we did this, if we recaptured K through 12 education 
and actually educated our children to fear and love the Lord as Christians, applying all of Christ to all of subjects and all of life, if the natural outflow of that would be in two generations recapturing the institutions that, because that's the thing that's so frustrating is Christians built these institutions. Yes. And then we abandoned them. <laughs> you yes. Know? I mean, we spend a portion of the book or in the series explaining the origins of Harvard and Princeton and all these institutions I'm currently, founded by ministers. Right. I'm currently at Westminster Theological Seminary, which if you don't know, used to be Princeton. Princeton, basically they, they had a, um, uh, a leftist liberal takeover of the institution, but the theological department said, uh, no, we believe God's word is God's word and we're going to teach that. So they broke off and started Westminster Theological Seminary. And uh, yeah, it it is tragic because these used to train ministers of the gospel and now they train ministers of leftist ideology, you know? So with that, those may be lost for now. We're not, like you said, we're not going to tackle that right now. We're going to tackle K through 12. But in as you're making your case for this, you, you kind of go at the beginning, you take a, a, several different routes to show how big the problem is. And uh, I think in the section, uh, the indoctrination, I think it's called the indoctrination is bigger than schools. Let me turn there in the book. Um, yeah, bigger than schools. Um, here you're talking about the power of culture, uh, the power of culture to shape a people. So conservatives basically for the last 50 years have been fighting for lower taxes while the left has been capturing the hearts and minds of our children through every other means. Like we, yeah, oh, you won some, some low taxes, good job. Meanwhile, Hollywood has taken over. Education has taken over. All these institutions are completely taken over. And, and the conservatives go, okay, well, you know, we got lower taxes. What? <laughs> what, what? There's got, we've, we've got to, there's got to be a shift toward, back to culture. Christians used to build culture. We built Western civilization. Christians did that, you know, that's what the West, like, actually, before we get into that, what is the WCP? Because that kind of fits into that fits into the whole thing. Yeah. And you're right. The, the book, the next portion of this uh, chapter gets into how uh, Andrew Breitbart famously said politics is downstream of culture. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and that's true. But my, my pastor in New Jersey, where we went, uh, sort of took it the next level and said, well, but culture is downstream of faith or religion. Mm. What we worship something. Right. Is it ourselves? Is it our own identity? Is it, is it our, our money? What is it? Or is it, is it, is it truth? And as a result, you, in order to capture culture, you have to know what you believe in. And we used to know what we believe in to your point. Right. That was the Western Christian paideia. That's the WCP. So when you read the book, you're introduced to this word paideia, which has no direct translation in English, mm. but it, it's a Greek word that basically means the education of your youth, but deeper than that, it's mm. the enculturation of the youth. Is worldview, would that be a- Worldview is a good way to put it, yeah. but it's even a more base, worldviews are usually developed when you're a little bit older and you understand politics and really how they, yeah. it's almost, it's the ordering of your affections. Mm. It's, it's, it's the vision of the good life yeah. that a kid has. Right. Like what, what does my family love? What does my church value? What mm. should I love? Mm. And, and those things are set mostly in kids by the age of 11 or 12. Wow. And the Greeks understood that our founders understood that of our country and certainly before that, but the progressives who undertook this plot, also knew and, and spoke about the word paideia. Mm. And that's why the battle is not colleges, it's kindergartens, because they want to get younger and younger and younger. And, and, you know, the most recent manifestation of that is if you can challenge a third grader about their gender yeah. and whether they're a man or a woman in a very direct way, you've captured every single part 
of, of who they are and how they, they identify. And you've, you've basically deconstructed every aspect of their entire identity from, I mean, from the garden, right? Wow. It's all reconstructed. Mm. And that's been, that's been their goal. So the Western Christian by day, it's distinctly Western to your point, Athens and Rome and, 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 and the great books, but it's also distinctly Christian. Mm. And the, the, the merger of the two was at its nexus, we argue, the American experiment, mm. which is not perfect. And we talk about some of the sure. origins of America and, and that it was a sort of a hobbling experiment to begin with. But for the most part, Western Christian paideia was practiced in the West since for 1700 years mm. until the late or the early 20th century when progressives targeted it in our education system and said, no, 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 we need something else. Mm. So we do go through who we were and what we believed that was almost the, the assumption it was in our culture, in our body politic, yeah. that that's, this is what we believe. Mm. And, and it was passed on generationally the WCP through family life, through church life and through schools. Unspoken. Which, it's just a part of who you which were. Which is why the founders didn't, and we get into quotes of the founders. They just, if they had a blind spot, it was sort of assuming that something like the Western Christian paideia would perpetuate itself. Right. That it would, you know, the ideas of Marxism were, were inventions after the founders yeah. uh, and, and came on rapidly. But that, that's the foundation of what we argue and, and what classical Christian education wants to go back to. Have you ever, did you ever read Francis Schaeffer's The God Who Was There? Some of it. David has, I know. David has. So um, there's a, I think it was in The God Who Was There. He, in you, in your section, you have a section in here that was saying exactly what you're touching on, uh, that, you know, as you said, Andrew Breitbart's politics is downstream yeah. of culture, but then all of that is downstream of religion. Um, in, in Francis Schaeffer's book, he talks about the stream, the river of ideas. It starts basically with religion and philosophy, either religion or philosophy, which philosophy basically is... It, it, it functions as a religion for many people. Sure. Um, it's the secular humanism. That's functionally a religion. So we'll just say religion, it starts there. And then typically the next uh, area that it the stream flows down to is the arts. So the poets start capturing the ideas and bringing it to the people, the painters, the now filmmakers, musicians, yep. all the rest. They, they take these ideas and they make them beautiful and repackage them and give them to the people. Then the masses take hold of those, the art that has been discipling them in many ways through the, uh, starting with the religion. And then politics sees, puts their finger up in the air. Sure, absolutely. Right? And then sees where the people are going. And then they go, and then sadly, he argues that the church is the last down the stream, mm. that we just, that those ideas trickle on down into the church. And then lately, unfortunately, over the last several decades, we've just blown to and fro by these ideas. We've, because so many churches didn't know this, the WCP, they had no idea the roots of our Christian heritage and how deep they go. Anyway, so uh, I have a quick question for you on that, which is uh, politics is downstream from culture. But also there's an idea that I've been kind of, uh, this is a little off script, been wrestling with, and it's that the law is also a teacher and what I'm, or a tutor. Now, what I mean by that is um, while politics is downstream of culture, whenever a law changes, all of a sudden the public seems to have a change of mind about a certain topic. Take Obergefell, right? Before Obergefell, most Americans were not for gay marriage. And then post-Obergefell, 
all of a sudden the majority is for it. And so, um, what are your thoughts on this? What but I still th- feel like that was a lagging indicator mm. after, after cultural institutions had done their spade work, right? I think you're right. Yeah. So I think, I do think, I, I, I do think law can, uh, signal at some, I mean, should signal the, the, the virtues that a society good. represents, what is good. Yeah. And we get into the difference between virtues and values, which is a whole nother thing that has been flipped on its head by yeah. the progressives. Um, but I still think most of those things happen after cultural change has mm. happened. Yeah. Um, you just, there aren't a lot of, there are some places where um, civil rights movement might be one of them where, where legislation uh, pushes forward something that was commonsensical that people had pushed back against. And then once it was law, there was almost no way to refute it. Right. Um, so there are cases of that where it's used for the good. Um, but usually I, my experience is that the, the, the cultural erosion happened before an edict happened, mm. um, even though that will help accelerate it. That's my sense. I think that's a good, I think that's a good way of putting it. That it's, it can be an accelerator to the, um, the seeds that have already been planted. Basically it can help them sprout faster, I think. Um, but I, I think, I think that's a good point. So when you personally discovered this, when you, ha- when you had this realization that politics is downstream of culture, um, but ultimately all that's downstream of religion as a part of your reformation red pill journey, what was that like? And how did that practically change how you lived? Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it, it everything when you start, it, it, you start to realize, I mean, you start to realize how futile and utterly insufficient your own judgment is on almost everything. <laughs> and then you look yeah. around it. Yeah. And in my case, the wreckage of my own life, the mistakes mm. that I had made, um, based on thinking that, you know, the, 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 the old school secular adage is that Christian law binds your conduct and you're not allowed to do this. Or you're not allowed. So as a young person, you sort of kick against that if you're not properly fortified yeah. or you think you can beat the game yeah. or, or, or you're different than that. And when you really submit to the reality that God's law sets you free mm. Because, uh, because it is truth. Right. It, 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 all that it has made me want to do is understand that law, understand him even better so that I can reflect that knowing that otherwise what I'm grasping at in the moment Mm. is just that momentary and worldly and probably wrong. Mm. And if I want to get that pecking order right of from religion to culture, to, then I better start at the source as mm. opposed to, because I was always very politically inclined. Yeah, yeah. Just interested. Yeah, who's, who's up, who's down, Republicans, yeah, Democrats. Yeah. And, and you sort of watch it. And if you spend enough time doing that, you realize, what am I, what am I doing here? It's at the bottom of the stream. Like I, there's so many bigger things that are affecting this. Mm. And so first it was to culture and then realizing that was insufficient. So to me, it was just getting in the, getting in the word mm. and being in a Bible believing church mm. and, infusing that into my family more and more to this very day trying to, and that's why I love being a part of this community and, and, and getting to know guys like you and others who are doing it intentionally. Cause I don't know. Um, I wasn't doing it intentionally enough. And so this, mm. this has been an intensely personal journey for me. And that's what we want it to be for everybody. Yeah. This is, this is your family. These are your kids. You know, what are you doing to take seriously what you're putting in their minds mm. from the classroom to a social media device to the churches they attend. And I just, just 
we can't we can't live in the default mode of what we did before, which is everything's going to be okay. Yeah, because it's not okay right now. It's not. We are the our educational collapse is the product of that exact thing of just Christians, most of which were just ignorant to how. Um, how bad the problem really is. And there's also a piece of it, and we talked about this in our last episode of the podcast, how there was a theological shift in the church over the last century that I think contributed to this. And it's this dispensational theology that basically says the the, the world is inevitably going to get worse. And so... yeah. We, we get into we yeah you're you're I I don't know all the fancy terms the way you do yeah uh, but but we get into this David and we we can get to it later oh, but we, we can, or or now whatever I mean that that absolutely the church divided itself into hmm. two basic strands to you described yep. one of them yep um go ahead no yeah that's the uh, that's the section that I was just thinking of is where you say the 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 church divided into basically liberal. Uh, leftists, progressive strand, which was, that was the social gospel kind yep, of stuff. Yep. And then you said, uh, and you pointed out how the church then also divided into the other strand was the fundamentalist strand, yes. which put a huge focus on personal evangelism rather than the kingdom of God. Personal saving of souls before the whole thing evaporates. Yeah. Rather than sowing the kingdom of God. Exactly. You're, and if that's your view, then get the kids in the pews and save them now. Save their souls. Save their souls now. Yeah. Because there's nothing in the schools for them. There's nothing elsewhere for them. Save them. It's all going to burn anyway. It's all it's all going to burn anyway. Yeah. And yeah. that's very much the tradition that a lot of us grew up in, which leaves almost no room for for uh, for cultural development yeah. or, or or investment. Why build something that you're if you're convinced that Christ is going to return next Thursday, why are you going to build an institution? There's something I remember I listened to a talk from uh Toby Sumter and uh, he's a CREC guy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he uh it was called I think it, the talk was called Stop Giving Your Strength to Women. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it was from Proverbs 31. That's how Proverbs 31 starts my from his mother, my son, stop giving your, don't give your strength to women. But, and he talked about the power, basically a lot of what we're talking about here, he talked about the power of feminism and progressivism and the commitment that they have had to a long-term vision of taking our country. Big time. And, and what we, what we avoid in the front is trying to say, Here's how the conspiracy happened. Here's how it unfolded. Here's here's where they knew it would go. Yeah. And what we said, we yeah, don't we don't point. have the um, no one every, every conspiracy. I've been a part of big institutions that everyone thought were super effective and conspiracy, like the Coke <laughs> Network or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out we didn't know what we were doing, and most of what we did didn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So conspiracies and these big usually don't work. What I do know, the the progressives didn't know exactly where it would lead, but they knew exactly where it wouldn't lead. That's the quote that stood out to me. Was like we they their goal was was utopia vaguely, right? Yes. Was and and, and but and, an undefined utopia, right? Correct. That will change with each generation Correct. because there's no there's no objective good or evil in their worldview, right? So there's so they're they're aiming at utopia, and they know that that utopia is Christless for them. Yes, of course. And so it's they, exactly like you said. They didn't know where this was going to lead. This wasn't a, a 4D chess conspiracy kind of theory. Yep. But it was, we know what we need to get out. 
in the American context, it was God's got to be out. Yep. And the spirit of 1776 has to be out. Yes. So we're going to replace the actual founding ideas of our country with forgeries of more state-based allegiance to mm. democracy. And right. we'll get into that, which is very different than rights endowed by a creator mm. written in our declaration and constitution, exactly. uh, which, which point the source of our rights somewhere very different. And if you can, if you can, and even the the beginning chapter of the book, the sixteen nineteen, our COVID sixteen nineteen yeah. moment, the idea that if you if you can, in the mind of the public, change the 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 national discussion about when our country founded from seventeen seventy six, which was a a war for independence rooted in a lot of people. A lot of people want to call that a revolution. I'm I'm keen to stop calling it a revolution because now we think of revolution the same way we think of the French Revolution. Sure. And and progressive historians have been trying to make our revolution like that. It was not. It was completely They're different. Polar opposite. They're literally opposite yes. from a worldview standpoint. Yes. Our revolution was rooted in actual theology. There's a contra. What is it? Tyrannos contra Tirano. Anyway, there's a book. The, that went around the re, the giving theological justification for the war. We were, they weren't just like we want to throw off the yoke of of our oppressors and and take power. It was this is unjust and unrighteous before God, and we have a theological we have a a biblical duty to fight for the um a, a war of self defense yep. for our people. And so if you can take that, and not only that, you know a lot of people a lot of people don't know this, but the the war for independence was also called the Presbyterian war. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there was this, uh, there was even a regiment called the black, the black regiment, I think, because they all, they, the black was, robe regiment. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because they wore their, uh, they, they were Presbyterian ministers. So yep. They wore their robes. Yep. Yep. Um, and other people called it Calvin's war because they saw what, what you were getting at was that this was downstream from John Calvin, the Protestant reformation and a Christian people. America is the result of Christianity working its way out hmm. to a free people, right? So th progressives hate that. Oh, hate it. They hate that. And the and the and the other side of that, the French Revolution should be called the critical theory revolution. That's basically. exactly right. It was all tear down, it was all deconstruct, it was, you know, kill the clergy. Yes. Uh, kill the king, kill the squash the tradition, re change the calendar. Everything's gone. Yep. A utopia is in our future. Yes. Which really utopia just means bloodletting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eventually. That, that's exactly right. Yes. That's exactly right. And so uh um well that's uh let's see 1776. What were we? Oh yeah, so if you if you can get people to stop seeing 1776 and start seeing 1619 100%. as the founding of our country, then instead of a country being rooted in freedom from tyranny and from, you know, and being associated with the Presbyterian revolt and all the rest and seeing how that, uh, it's all of this was downstream from Christianity. I, I, like you said, our, our founding fathers, they were all stooped and steeped in that WCP, the Absolutely. Western Christian paideia. Right. And if you can remove that and then you replace it with a, a founding of grievance, grievance, and that's what they want. Exactly. Oppressor, oppressed, grievance, victim class. Yes. Um, it was all, uh, colonial, what, what's the, uh, the, 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 all, all the buzzwords of what they oppression, it, it changes the entire narrative. America's automatically the bad guy. Yes. It must be destroyed. It, America, it's like the West has become self-immolating, self-hating. It's the only, it's, it's like the only, uh, 
it's so strange where progressives will say that if you're from Uganda, you should have Ugandan pride, right? It's good for you to have pride in your culture. But if you're from the West, if you're from any Western country, you should just feel shame. No, no, no. You colonial bigot. Colonial you know? bigot. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I'm That's saying? That's what, and, and yet the irony is everybody's trying to run across our Southern border into our country, this horribly <laughs> racist country. Well, yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. wants to come here yeah. because the, the experiment was rated, was, was rooted in something very different. So yeah. you still have the vestiges of that. And, and this story is a big part of how we, we've lived off the fumes yeah. of 1776 for a very long time because yes. it's, it, there was such powerful, the Western Christian paideia is, is that powerful that even as they try to bury it, the goodness of it sort of makes its way through. Yeah. And we still, but, but man, they're, they're, they're on hyperdrive to try to get rid of it. The uh, illustration that I really appreciate from, I heard it from Doug Wilson first was that, uh, so basically we are in the process of apostatizing as a nation, as a nation who was stooped in that W the Western Christian paideia, we are leaving that behind. And we have been for the last hundred years, been trying to, right? There's been a, an actual plot to try to make like explicitly get Christ, get God out of school, all the rest. So that uh, that's been happening for the last, you know, hundred or more. I don't know. You even get into it in the book. It's been happening for over a hundred years, over a hundred years. We just started, started at where the hyperdrive, I yeah. mean, there's, there's earlier seeds in the 1870s, 18s, where you start to see movements of it, but the beginning of it was right. And so, and, and, and Doug Wilson makes the point that, uh, as we apostatize, we are like the um, the brother, you know, the the prodigal son who goes away from the father, but he didn't he wasn't he didn't blow all his money in a night. You know, he had lots of money, he had lots of capital to spend. That's us right now. We are the the younger brother who has gone blowing all the capital that we had from the Western Christian paideia yep. and spending it all until we are in the dregs, eating with the pigs in the troughs, and we are. I, I would say once you've got Gonzarella, Gonzarella discipling our kids, we're in the pig. We're with eating with the pigs now. Absolutely. You know we've we've hit. I I can't say we've hit rock bottom. No, I, no we haven't seen rock every bottom. Every time yet. we say, every time you think that there's a new. And here's the thing: madness. I want your listeners to know too. Like we moved to Tennessee, but um, I was meeting with a county commissioner here, someone you know well. Recently, the fight is in Sumner County. It's in mm. it's in in public schools and in public libraries, keeping things like Gonzarella out of, and you know, I have two mommies or some sexually explicit book. Oh, dude, there's some nasty stuff. Librarians fight to keep it in. Yeah. Like school principals fight to keep it in. They call take getting rid of that stuff, book banning, mm. even in places like Tennessee. So yeah. what we, this is not even necessarily an issue you can move away from yep. inside the government schools mm. because as the next chapter we're talking about the commanding heights yep. is because th the left has taken control of every institution. Mm. I mean, every one of education so that the pipeline flowing to New York state, to Florida, to Tennessee, to Idaho, to wherever inside government schools mm. is the same. So the left has been very effective as, as conservatives or, or Republicans for years, the only talking point we really ever used was, well, um, education is a local function. Right. It's a state. It should be done at the state and local level. Mm. Real, it's a nice talking point. Yep. But guess what? For 100 years, the left made it a federal function. Yes. And now everything your kid gets 
is coming out of Washington, D.C. Mm. and and far left groups who've captured those commanding heights. Exactly. And, and what they have and we've already alluded to it and talked through it a little bit, but what they have been pushing became obvious during COVID, right? And it was this, the madness. One, the, the, I would say there's the two, and add to this if, if you agree, disagree, or sure. you want to add to it. But um, the the two hot points of the battle seem to be CR, CRT and the gender madness. Would you add to that? I think those are the, I think those are the current and most powerful Manifestation. manifestations. Yeah, yeah. And and I think you, 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 you already, we've already put our finger over it. 1619 being a wonderful articulation of the sort of the racial base aspect of it. Well, America's me- founded by white men in 1776. Yeah. No, it's all about racial grievance dating back to 1619. Yeah. On the, on the gender front, it's the idea that even your gender identity at the youngest of ages must be reordered. Mm-hmm. And if, if we can, if we can reestablish both of those, take it back all the way to the founding ideal, yeah. then we've started and we've opened a Pandora's box of what's possible in the mm. future. Mm. So let's give a, if you can, how would you simply give, because the hot, these hot button topics, critical race theory, mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. How would you simply put, what is CRT? I mean, that's what's now being taught in schools. What is it? So critical race theory and critical gender theory are both out branches of critical theory. Mm-hmm. And critical theory is a is a Marxist set of ideas that came out of Germany yeah. that if effectively is a deconstruction of Western civilization. It, accre- it yeah. all is premised on a oppressor and oppressor matrix that ultimately there is oppressed class and, opp- and usually it, the, the, the critical theorists originally thought that class would be the most effective mechanism. That's what, what Marxism you heard Marx about. talked about yeah. all the time. Yeah. Class warfare, right. uh, the proletariat, the bourgeoisie. That's, that's the view. But it, class was not the Achilles heel in America. Mm-mm. Our Achilles heel was race yeah, because of slavery and because of a civil war. So that became the nose under the tent that had the most fertile soil mm-hmm. academically. Yeah. And it was pushed. The, the, I, and we get into this in the history too, but the critical theorists landed at Columbia University, which is the most, pr- uh, most powerful teacher's college in America. Mm. So critical theory didn't just land in America and become a think tank. Right. It landed at the most important teacher's college and then was welcomed and embraced as a theory, a theory that totally deconstruct. I mean, its its goal is not what it is when you when you dive into critical theory. Mm. Its goal is what it is against. Right. It is against the patriarchy. It is against colonialism. It mm-hmm. is against... Um, uh, really what it is is most of western civilization sees a hierarchy yeah right a hierarchy with with god and truth and virtue at the top and everything else flows from that Mm. critical theory rejects that hierarchy right and wants to level everything Mm. and so if you if you are on the higher level of the hierarchy you are the oppressor versus the oppressed yep and so it gives them a very easy matrix to decide who's good who's bad Mm -hmm. the oppressor is automatically bad yeah and the oppressed is automatically good and in 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 the area of race critical race theory white people bad black people good yep whatever it takes to bring black people up and white people down to include anti-racism which is really just excused racism in the other direction yeah is is same with gender theory men bad women good um anyone with cultural power is bad in any sense. Correct. Yeah. And anyone who is even slightly less 
has less cultural power than them is oppressed by them because that and because that cultural power is rooted in Christendom. It's rooted in a truth that they reject. That's exactly right. There's so many people who, you know, the the big talking points, and it's not totally wrong, but it's that uh, oh, you know, they just hate straight white men. Okay, yeah, that's true. But you know what? They hate way worse than straight white men. Christian. Absolutely right. That's the part of it. That That's the part that they don't explicitly say that they hate the most. And it's the part that they 100% hate the most. Like that's the, that's the, that's like the, the, the source of their rage. Well, know? that's the top of the hierarchy in their mind. Yeah, exactly. Is that, that's where, because Christianity built the West. Correct. Yeah. And Christianity has a very, um, read the Bible, mm. a very clear set of views on gender and men and women and roles and marriage, many of which I failed at for a very long time. So I'm, mm. again, the least effective spokesman in all of this, mm. but as I learn it, I'm humbled by it and I want to be better at it. Mm. Um, that, that has created human flourishing and blessing and success and thriving in the West mm. when, when we're committed to those things, all of which the Marxists hate and want to tear down. You know, what's, I'm going to tie this in a little bit to uh, church ecclesiological life theology, that sort of thing. Because when this started to get big, critical race theory specifically, um, I was in college when I first heard and sniffed out the rumblings of it, you know, started seeing that, hearing the term white privilege and check your privilege and these types of things. And I remember just having a check about it, being like, that doesn't, that something's wrong with that. But also that, you know, I had friends who were making really good points. It's like, yeah, I'm a, as a minority, I've had a different experience than you and I've faced racism and, and we need to, we need to make a kind of world that doesn't have that kind of racism. And I was like, yeah, I agree with that, but something feels off about the way that this is being talked about, yeah. being approached, all the rest. And I started to notice, and this was me, this wasn't just college people. This is college ministry people. So this is people in college ministry and churches that I'm having these discussions with. And I'm seeing churches start to adopt what I now understand as tenets of critical race theory, but what they viewed as just compassion. We're being compassionate. We don't like racism. Of course not. You know, we we know that God has created all people in the image of God and we want to love people. And it was framed that way. And I remember just being like on the fence thinking, yeah, this makes sense. We don't want racism. Yeah. Okay. But then saying that I'm privileged, like it's a bad thing. I remember, I think I heard Doug Wilson say like, what are you, you're blessed. Like, why are you, don't, it, when you talk about white privilege, what are you talking about? Well, you're talking about any blessings that you have that they want you to feel bad for, you know? And what, but if you're privileged, you just feel shame. But if you are blessed, then you share your blessing. You say, oh, God has blessed me. Now I want to bless others. Mm -hmm. You know, and it produces joy. Mm -hmm. and they hate joy. No, no, no. Joy is bad. <laughs> you know, joy is... Joy, grace, re redemption, none of that is okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I I was taken in a little bit. So I remember even when I was planting the church in LA, we were like, we need to get more black people. We got to get more black people because we need equal, we need representation in our leadership. And I, it's like, even now it's like, okay, that doesn't seem bad. Mm -hmm. But then I, I hear, I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Chandler. There's a famous clip of him that was like, all right, if I'm hiring a church staff member and I have an Anglo eight in terms of skill competency and a minority seven, I'm going to go with the minority seven so that I can 
DEI. That's what it is. Yeah. Is DEI. Yep. yep. DEI and CRT getting into our churches. And even in the, I, I'm not sure if you were a Southern Baptist, but this was a big hubbub. I'm not sure if you're aware in the SBC where they had a on the books, like a vote for like, can we use CRT as a analytical tool in Christian circles? And Hmm. And, and it, there were people pushing and they even snuck it. It was a, it was a whole controversy because they snuck it in to get a quick vote before they could explain it. But eventually it was shot down. But what do you think about that? Churches who are trying to use tenants of CRT to be compassionate or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think you're taking, you're taking a tool of the word, a tool of the world when all you need to do is look at the word yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of, of how we should treat people. Yeah. And, yeah. and frankly, that our, our identity is found only in Christ. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I've heard the most most powerful sort of soliloquies I've heard are from black men, black women who say, I don't accept your framework because my identity comes in Christ. Come on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's so I don't I, I don't need this. I don't want this. It only divides us further. Uh, and it, there's no institution in which bringing in CRT and DEI is just a tool of CRT. It's it's a it's a user guidebook. Mm. So, OK, if you want to apply critical race theory, then you need to be more diverse. You need to be equitable, which means you ignore the numbers because yeah. that's merit-based. Yeah, so no the sevens, merit -based. eights, that doesn't matter at all. Yeah. And inclusion means, I, I, I usually means ideological. They're, they're, they're pushing in yes. the uh, viewpoints that they want inside these organizations. I mean, the military, which I was a part of for a long time, is doing the very same thing. Mm. It's, it is toxic. It is poisonous to every single institution that it, that it infiltrates. I mean, because it creates animosity. Right. It creates skepticism. Did that person get that position because they're good at it? or because, And that person probably did. And then they don't deserve that skepticism I of that. that I, I hate all the angles and manifestations of it. Uh, that's one it, of the grossest. It creates to me. more racism. Part of me thinks. That's what they want. I've wondered that. Like, is that the plan? Well, to look, like I mean, we've gone only backwards since we've done me more CRT, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I, I need to, you need to see more of my race, emphasize my race more, yeah. and that will define who I am. And in the process, we need to de-emphasize your race. That's Correct. the whole process. And when, if you end up talking about your race, then you're a really racist person, but the other person can talk about their race all they want mm -hmm. because of sins of the past, even though... None of my ancestors owned slaves. Right. And I don't know anybody that are still slaves. Yeah. And so as a result, the goal I thought was to move past all that and see people by the content of their character as mm. child as children of God. And instead we reject all of that. And now we're back in racial camps. Yeah. So we're, I mean, but if you if you wanted to create a theory mm. that would divide a country, yeah. If you're a critical theorist, mm. it wasn't class, it was race. Mm. And then you take that race and you infect. First, the colleges and the universities, mm. then the teachers' colleges, then the curriculum, then the pedagogy, then the unions. So in that next chapter, Commanding Heights, mm -hmm. you don't have to control everything. You just have to control key terrain. That's right. And you, you grab. So conservatives are really good or Christians are really good at principles oftentimes. The left's very good at positions. Mm. So we're going to control the faculty, the faculty lounge, uh, the unions. I mean, teachers associations in this country, before there were teachers unions, they used to hand out, uh, I used to, used to hand out Bible verses. That's how kids learn to read from these Christian conservative teachers associations. That's mm. was the reflex. If you wanted to be a teacher in America, you were probably a Christian who was inclined to want to help kids. Right. 
and you came from a biblical background, and that's what you used to teach kids. Yeah. Until the teachers' unions came along, driven by the sort of class-based Marxist movement, yep. and cudgeled these teachers' associations into unionizing, then won the positions, made them hyper-political, pushed in Marxism, pushed out the Christians, took control, elected Democrats, created the Department of Education, and pretty soon they own all of it. And that's, I, I read that chapter and was like, it's, oh, this, if you, if I wasn't a post-mill Christian, I might think that's hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you we know? know it's not hopeless. That's right, that's right. But, it, but, but it's, it's dire. It's why we say at the end of the book, just to preview a little bit, now is the time for retreat. Mm. tactical retreat tactical retreat tactical oh. retreat because you can't we can't win inside these institutions right now and our kids are going to be poisoned by them mm. doesn't mean you abandon them completely it means if we fight head face to face right now we're gonna die so let's back up i'm not sure so my what i know is the church world the church planting world really well and what was big for the last decade or so in the church planting circles that i was running in was uh, sending your kids to public schools as missionaries. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the worst that's possible the idea out there. Well, and here's the thing. I knew a lot of, everyone I knew in our church world was doing that. They were sending their kids, and they, and they to be fair, like the pastors, they were getting really involved in the school boards and really, like, they were trying to practice what they preached. Get it? Yeah, and they were really going for it. And now... I've watched as many of their children have apostatized. They've walked away from the faith. They're using the gender, they're doing the pronouns things. They're doing all. And it was like, I remember whenever I was, I was in the midst of my reformation red pill moment. I was kind of at a, um, I would call it a squishy seminary. I won't say which one, but I, and, uh, I was, at, and it wasn't, you know, they, they're relatively conservative. They're not, I'm at Westminster right now and it's awesome. But uh, this was before that. And I was in a class and we were talking, somehow the topic of this uh, missions and education and raising children uh, and the fear and admission of the Lord, all that stuff, that was coming up. And this was being talked about. And, I, and one guy stood up and was like, that is crazy. He's like, your kids are not missionaries. They're kids. They're kids and they're being shaped by, they are malleable. You talk about the, plastic, the plastic. plasticity of the children. Yeah. Yes. They're malleable and they are being formed as missionaries for the other team. Yes. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're sending them off to be missionaries for leftism. That's because they are in their formative years. <clears throat> what you want is you want to raise your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord through a true Christian paideia to come back to, to be raised and formed with a Christian worldview, a Christian paideia, and then you send them out as dangerous missionaries Absolutely, for the and that doesn't mean, yes, we, we are not going to take back the kingdom with survivors from public school. Yes. We need warriors fortified. Let's go! You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Let's do this! Because yeah, we know yeah. what we believe and we're not, we're not going to be shaken by it. Yeah. Maybe that's your kid when they're going to college. Mm. Maybe. Mm. Only you know your kid. If mm. they're prepared after 16,000 hours of a classical Christian education to go out and be that missionary, maybe. And there are some schools where that is very much the case. Because mm. you're going to meet a lot of kids who have been deceived by public education and are ripe to be introduced to the truth. There's no doubt about that. Right. But taking your 13-year-old, I mean, I was that kid. Yeah. I, and we didn't even know it. I mean, I would, 
I would bring my Bible to school. <laughs> I would put it in my backpack and I would say, well, I'm going to read my Bible at school, but I'm <laughs> really nervous because none of my kid friends did that. And so I, I'd pull it out a little bit, but then I'd really put it away. And then I'd go to fellowship of Christian athletes, um, you know, at school, but I was kind of ashamed because it was kind of like the nerd athletes would go to FCA. <laughs> yeah, for fellowship no, of Christian totally athletes. Right. Like, so, yeah. so God was kind of there and you could, you could argue I was an evangelist, but if I was, I was a really bad one mm. and I was a duplicitous one. Mm. And it, the school definitely shaped me a lot more than I shaped the students at the school. Hundred percent. And I came from a really solid Christian home, but but a solid Christian home, sort of mostly unawares. I wouldn't say completely because my mom went to school boards and took on some gnarly, weird curriculum that was there. So like, I read that. She now was, you had a section about. She was that. on it, so I'm yeah. not. I don't. I don't want to paint my parents as asleep at the wheel. They yeah. weren't. Yeah. But I think everyone was caught off guard by no the one knew how bad it was of the takeover. How yes. bad it really was. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a bad idea. Why would you roll the dice on the souls of your own kids mm. uh, when you've only got 18 years to shape them? Man. And then they're the Lords. That's right. And, and, and either they're warriors or survivors. And I, I know I wasn't ready. And I look at my kids, oldest of which is only 13. Mm. He's not prepared to be... He, he's so, they're all, they're worried about what their friends think of them yep. or what the latest, you know, what latest touchdown dance they can do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. they're kids. They're my, my six-year-old recently thought he could still be Batman, you yeah. know, like they don't yeah. know. So yeah, I, I, I hope that churches and church planters are revisiting that mm -hmm. based on the results. Yeah. You would hope if that happens. I think it's, I think we're in the process. I pray that we are in the process of that. I mean, that's why I left the whole church planting world that I was a part of was seeing, oh, there's something rotten over here in, in the way that we understand God's mission and the approach. And you brought up the term tactical retreat. Uh, a lot of Christians really don't like that idea because, so I moved from LA. I was planting a church in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and I started, I got, I went down the Reformation rabbit hole and started becoming convicted of all this stuff. And specifically, I, I started, once I believed that we actually, as Christians, that the gates of hell really don't stand against the church, that we actually win. If you actually think you're going to win the war, it changes your battle tactics. Sure, absolutely. 100%. You know it's, what a great, I mean? it's a great way to If to you don't it. think you're going to win the war, kamikaze, right? You do as much damage to the enemy as you can. Go into that city and win, win some souls for Jesus and then crash and then be a beautiful firework that's here today, gone tomorrow, right? That This kamikaze Christianity, as I called it. But if you think you're going to win, a tactical retreat becomes necessary so that you can actually build something, build the kind of thing that was built 500 years ago with the original Reformation. That was, that that was the fuel for what the American vision originally was. And then you have a generational viewpoint, which exactly. I've heard you and Brooks talk about time and time again on this yep. podcast. That changes everything too. Yeah. When you start to think generationally, you say, because I know that if I stayed kind of living with the influences around me the way that I had, that I was going to create the same generational carnage that I was creating. Absolutely. And only by retreating and say, okay, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to go back to what really matters and mm -hmm. focus on the word and on the truth and on a, a, a right thinking education for my kids. Mm -hmm. Do my kids then have a fighting chance and then their kids and then their kids. And that's when you get into going back on the counter yeah. offensive. That's when you're not tactically retreating anymore. Exactly. You've built the army enough that you can go on the offensive. And mm. that's, so the book does end optimistically yeah. that this is something that can be done, but it's probably not 
a promised land that you and I are going to see. Yeah, that's right. But that's how Christians thought generationally for a long time. That's and right. We need, to be, we need to be the ones to put our shoulder to the plow now yeah. in the hopes that our great-great-grandchildren live in a different kind of America. Yeah, the we'll we'll wrap up this episode here in just a minute. Um, but uh, that's the even a little teaser for the end of the book. The end of the book had me fist pumping in my car when I was <laughs> listening to the audio book. I was like, let's freaking go. You know, because in some ways I'm, I'm a, I'm a perfect uh, spokesperson in one sense for this because I did both. My parents, I was in Christian, not a classical Christian school, but a Christian school up until seventh grade. And then I guess there's financial pressure or this and that, whatever happened, I think actually the school shut down the next year anyway, but I went to public school in seventh grade from seventh grade on through the rest of my, uh, and then I ended up going back and graduated. I had a crazy school, uh, school career, but, um, but I did both. And the difference in me from who I was up until seventh grade to whenever I transitioned to, uh, I can't say transitioned anymore. Yeah, I know you can't ever say that word with a straight face. It sucks. <laughs> um, but when I transitioned to public schools, the, the difference with, <laughs> I tell people within, uh, um, within probably three weeks, I said my first cuss word within uh, a few months, I was getting I w- exposed to pornography. Like never before there was drugs rampant all around. And I just, so uh, I remember that first cuss word too. I remember it. Well, it was Corbin Ziegler <laughs> said, do you even cuss? <laughs> <laughs> I never had that question before. in my, the Christian school I was at, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. He's like, do it. Say shit. I was like, (laughs) I'll beep that out. (laughs) And I felt so guilty, but it was like the door was open and then I was cursing like a sailor after that. I mean, but really my parents saw within two years how much I changed and they said, we got to put him back in Christian school. And it was too late. The damage was done. My entire affections were reordered within two years. of, And it was a good public school in a good area, right? But that's just how it is. Um, the point I'm trying to make here, the point we're trying to make is the depth of the problem in our government schools and the education of our children is it's, the problem is dire. And it's, we have got to take immediate steps to, to correcting as Christians. And the thing that's frustrating too, is that if we as evangelicals today said this year, next year, my kids will be out of public schools. We, we would functionally pull the plug on our government education system. I mean, it would collapse. It's already broken and totally. And I I was listening to uh, Doug talk about it. Doug Wilson talk about it today. And he was like, yes, will that be difficult? If and when the government system, total, school system totally collapses, yes, but it will be better even for, especially for those students, if and when it does, because then we can actually focus on building something that is good and true and beautiful, you know? Absolutely right. I get that question all the time. What about, what about the rest of the system? And I said, the rest of the system right now is 98% of the system, right? That's the yellow school bus crowd. The government school is the, is the dominant factor and it's failing every single one of those kids at a basic academic level, but more importantly at a, a, you, you, you said the right word, the affections, Mm -hmm. the affections. It, these government schools were built to change affections. Mm -hmm. They weren't built by these progressives to be better at, um, 
introducing your kids to wisdom and truth and beauty That's and right. goodness. They were, they, they were intentionally built to first under the guise of creating a, um, you know, skills for an industrial economy. It was mm -hmm. always the, the, the most recent skills that we can, why, why would you need to know more about this highfalutin philosophy stuff? And that, that comes in later chapters, yeah. Yeah. but the goal was always paideia. It was always, it was basically the same mindset you get from the coastal elites today. You Bible clinging, mm -hmm. you know, religious folks who just won't get off of your absolute truth mm -hmm. and won't get off of your old ways of husbands and wives and kids. And we, we need to change that. Mm. And as a result, and we know that the hidden force inside that paideia is God. Mm -hmm. That's the immovable object. And so we're going to target that because that's the core of the Western Christian paideia, which was this powerful force that was the engine of this country's success mm. for a hundred years. I mean, when you go back to classrooms 150 years ago in America, they had, they, kids learned to read from the Bible. Yep. Like it blows people's minds when you say that now, because it's, that's, you know, heretical to right. even say. And there was a cross in the 10 commandments and a mm -hmm. Bible in the classroom. Uh, they knew that. And, and now, they learned that's to read what we well. call it the, yes. <laughs> and write well. Write well. Like and third Latin, grade Thomas and, Jefferson is college level uh, in our, in today's standards, you know, that like our, our education, it's just insane. If you read old letters, how incredibly well-written and well-spoken people Old were. letters written by welders. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not just, it's not like the British system where like, oh, only if you're rich or the top 3%. Yeah. Everybody got effectively a classical Christian education, right. which prepared them to think freely. Yes. Free citizens are what a republic requires. Mm. And to write well mm. and to identify fallacies. And to have a conversation with the, with the wisdom of the past, yep. with philosophers, with mm. you, kids will come out of public school today and they will never encounter Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Martin Luther, mm. you, you, you name it. Any, any, my, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards, my vocabulary of those eras is, is severely diminished. Yeah in large part because I wasn't introduced to it till later in life and I'm re-educating myself that, but it's been erased. Yeah. So the Western civilization has, when you can't talk about the Western canon or Christianity, what are you talking about? Yeah. You're talking about the latest thing of 15 minutes ago. Yeah. That's which exactly is right. BLM or the trans flag or this or Trump or that. And it becomes a straight up complete indoctrination camp. And history is, is whitewashed. I mean, what do you, what do we teach about? Um, I mean, basically, from 500 to 1500, uh, we we call that the Dark Ages, <laughs> right? That's how it's taught. Only that, yeah, as that, a backwards in today's education, we don't even talk about it, right? And then it's only the Enlightenment that gets talked about because that's the rejection of, of Christianity, Christendom. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the and it, 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 the more modern example of that is like I remember turning to my dad and being like, Dad, why is Ronald Reagan always the bad guy in my textbooks. You know what I mean? Like even in the nineties, because yeah. who's writing the textbooks? That's exactly right. The libs. And so, and so the whole process has been an erasure of the Western Christian paideia. Uh, and that's, that's why as we round out kind of this first section, we just want to keep digging and digging and digging and digging underneath how far gone we are. Man. So that people realize sending your kid as a missionary into a public school is a suicide mission. It won't work. On their soul. Man. It's not going to work. That uh, it's so funny. You you affirmed my this book 
totally confirmed my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory <laughs> because I remember this, this started for me in college when I took my first logic class. So I took a logic class. And by the end of that class, I thought I had the thought, why on earth was I not taught this in school? I, it blew my mind. I was like, and I literally was like, logic, that is at the center of education. That's like, that's like the first thing you should learn is logic. <laughs> and I didn't get it's taught it at all. at all. I was, and I was literally, and I, that's when the tinfoil hat came on and I was like, are they trying to keep us dumb? <laughs> like, so we can be manipulated because now we can't even spot logical fallacies. Most people don't even know what a logical fallacy is and how to construct good rhetorical arguments and all the rest. And I was just like, it blew my mind. I was, I was literally, I was, I was angry after that logic class. Like, why was I not taught this? And now that reading your reading through this was like, Oh, that's intentional. Mm -hmm. That yeah, was intentional. That was intentional. Because logic, it used to, I mean, the way the trivium and you look at classical Christian education, we don't call it el elementary school, middle school, or high school. Guess who made that up? The progressives. Come on. They, it, it was yeah. grammar school, logic school, rhetoric school. Man. And logic was the basis of transitioning from basic facts mm -hmm. to the ability to articulate. And in between that is how do you think logically about ideas and yeah. order them properly? Right. And connect them all. And, and see, not just isolated disciplines, but how do they all interconnect? How, how do can they, you think holistically? And where do they all interconnect? They interconnect around the truth of Christ. The truth of God. All truth is God's truth. That is the fundamental unifying principle, I feel like, in classical Christian education is all truth is God's it truth. It reveals his beauty. It reveals his wisdom. It reveals... His law. Yeah. All, and, and so you study the individual disciplines all with that crossover because yeah. they, 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 they drive you toward that. So you've removed that mm -hmm. and then you've taken the individual disciplines and you've smacked them together into just a nothingness. Mm. And, you know, my, the only world history course I took in high school was Russian civilization. So I can tell you who the czars of Russia are, kind <laughs> of, but like totally disconnected from any other conversation yeah. about world history. Mm. It's just, I realize my, my eighth grader who's in classical Christian school right now, he's not a genius. He's an eighth grader. He's yeah. mostly an idiot, but like, he's a wonderful kid. <laughs> yeah. um, he knows more about human history and mm. biblical history uh, than I knew graduating from Princeton. Ooh. And I mean that, I Man. mean that with the depth of my heart because every philosopher I studied and I was a political philosophy major at Princeton was some leftist humanist who I didn't realize it at the time because I was like, well, Princeton's a really, that's a, they must it's know. a special place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and these professors are the best of the best. And even though I was a conservative, yeah. you just sort of go along with it and you don't yeah. know what you don't know. That's right. Because. But they know what you don't know. But they know what you don't know and they yeah. ram it through. Woo. Okay, I'm going to finish up with this last thought and, it's, and it kind of ties up the problem that we've been discussing. Uh, so hopefully we've teased a little bit of the hope. So that's nice. So you're not totally <laughs> thoroughly depressed. Um, but uh, I want to get it. Why theologically, biblically, why this is a problem. And it's because this is a teaser for a future episode in a, in a few weeks on the doctrine of sphere sovereignty. So God has ordered the world such that there are authorities that are outlined in God's word that are natural authorities that we must submit to as humans, right? And those natural authorities are the authority of government and state. God has ordained that and ordered that. 
the state, the family, and the church. Those are the three main authorities that Mm -hmm. God has outlined, and he has also structured and given us instruction for how those work. What What are the boundaries of their authority, and what are they for? So, the 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 church is in charge of souls, basically. So the church is, uh, we actually are supposed to submit to the authority of our elders. We are commanded to in the New Testament. So they have authority, what's called the keys of the kingdom. So they have authority over us insofar as when we are in unrepentant sin, we can be put under church discipline. Um, and then ultimately excommunicated from the church if we continue on our sin. So that's the that's the authority that the church has. And then the, the father is given the authority of the home. So in the family. So the father has a th- actual authority over his wife and children. And then the wife has authority over the children too. But ultimately it's a patriarchal vision. Um, and then the state, God has given authority primarily the tool that God has given the state is the sword. We see this in Romans 13. They are to execute uh, justice to protect the righteous from the wicked. So to praise the good and to protect the righteous from the wicked but through primarily punishment, capital punishment and um, and punishments. The, the state's role is not to do good. So the state's role isn't to, and this is what I'm getting at, the reason we're talking about sphere sovereignty, it's not the state's God-given responsibility to raise and disciple and inculcate in them the paideia that we're talking about. It's not their responsibility to educate your children. It is the family's responsibility. Helped along with the church. The church can bear some of that too, but it is the family's responsibility. And this is why I said at the top of the episode, if you are shipping your kids off to government schools, you're abdicating your parental responsibility to give your child a Christian education. The counter-programming is not enough. You're right, because you're sending them to a different church. That's exactly right. That's basically what you're doing That's at exactly this point. Right. They they've believe their sphere of authority rejects the family. The family is, has outdated ideas. I'm talking about le- leftists, yes. ultimately, or the progressives that, that unleash this plot. Of course, they reject the church. They want to get rid of that authority completely. And then they believe all those functions of projecting a moral vision should go into the state through the school. Mm-hmm. And then the parents are mere subjects Absolutely. as a part of that project. The- in their vision of the utopia, the state sphere of authority has ballooned and encompassed all the other spheres. That's what they want. Yes. Whereas, and this is why it's a problem for you, Christian, is that God has outlined the the the, uh, the spheres of authority and the boundaries of their authority. And if we are not submitting to that, we are going against how God has ordered the authority of the state, the authority of the church, and the story, the authority of the family. And that's a problem. We have got to align ourselves with God's word, and it is our job as families, as fathers, and as uh, and as the church to take responsibility for our children and to honestly rescue them from this indoctrination camp, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's the, we've, we've gotten into the depth of the problem. It's really bad. It's bad. It's really, mm-hmm. really bad. Next episode, we're going to get into the history of the problem, and that's and well, th- that'll be a few weeks well, down it's the road. Called the unauthorized history of the, American education. That's exactly right. Yes. The unauthorized history of American education. That wasn't a really fun read for me. Um, just actually being able to connect the dots of what what this progressive takeover looked like historically in real time. Yeah, you know. I say in real time, not in real time. No, but I mean, in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, in retrospect. And the fact that it's still happening in real time. Absolutely. You know, um, so we'll get into that. And then on the final episode of the mini series, we'll get into 
the solution, which we've been teasing, but uh, it's a lot of fun getting to that section. So no doubt. hang tight in that. We'll give you little teasers of hope throughout because we're hopeful people. But until then, my charge for you. And first of all, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. My pleasure. This Appreciate was awesome. It. Yeah. You're good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. As always, my charge for you is that you would go build, defend, and expand the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and do it with a happy heart and a hopeful spirit because ultimately the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. Amen. Amen.